Last week, we started our marriage and family series titled Reclaimed. It's called Reclaim because we're taking back everything that the enemy has lost or, or has robbed and stolen from us. Everything that was lost in the garden, everything that's happening in our society that's not of the Lord, we're reclaiming it and taking it back for his purposes. The enemy also wants to steal from your future. So we're going to be working hard to make sure that uh, you marry right, you stay married, that divorce doesn't even come into uh, the discussion, and that you learn what healthy family and marriage should look like. So we're taking back what he's stolen, but we're also working to keep him from taking from you in your future, okay? So it's called Reclaimed. Last week, the first series, or the first message in the series was titled, From the Beginning. And if you have not heard that or you weren't here last week, please go on to our YouTube page, like it, subscribe to it, and watch the message from last week. I did a whole feed forward on what the series is going to be about. I talked about all the dynamics of what's to come and what you can expect and why it's important. And then I took it all the way back to the garden. And God's original intent for marriage and creating the man and woman and them becoming one as it is in heaven. And so I talked pretty detailed about that. I also hit heavily on the topic of divorce. It's kind of where the Lord just had me go right off the bat. Okay, so uh, if you know somebody's been divorced or you've gone through a divorce and you're battling with shame and identity and forgiveness and feeling like a failure, you need to listen to that message because it really, really will set you free. I, I was extremely vulnerable and real and raw last week, and every week is going to be like that because what we don't want to do is give you a bunch of principles that you go home and beat your spouse up with. We want to give you spirit-led biblical understanding and bring the life of Christ into your home and your family, and we want to set up all the singles and all the widows and anybody that uh, has been divorced that may want to be remarried or not, because even if you know, you're past the age of getting remarried or you've, you're a widow and you don't think that is what, is what God has for you, God still has so much that's in store for your life and in the future, and your life is as valuable and important as anyone else's is. And so we're going to hit all kinds of crazy topics and subjects as we move forward. But today, we're going to take it back to the beginning, because there's some insights in the beginning at the garden, and I would be amiss to go through this message alone. So please welcome my amazing wife, Amber Bendett, and we're going to do this together today. Ah, the second service. The first service is always brutal for me. It brutal. was tough. The time change. The time change. Everybody was like oh, yeah. falling asleep. Uh, I felt rushed, but this is good. All right. So today is uh, the second part of Reclaimed, and it's actually part two of part two because we're going to also title this From the Beginning, part two, and it's actually titled The Battle of the sexes, the battle of the sexes. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. So today in Reclaimed, we're going to go back to the garden and we're going to get a clue. We're going to get a clue. And we're going to get a clue on why there's such an incredible battle between man and woman. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about not just between the genders, but between husbands and wives. And we're going to work hard to overcome some stigmas and stereotypes and at least identify some things when it comes to gender, gender identity and roles. This is a massive topic, a massive topic. And we will in no way be able to touch this in depth, but we can at least bring light to a few things. And so the first thing that I want to do is start out with where the issue came from between a man and a woman and, and the battle of the sexes. And then my wife is going to bring it home with the solutions. So I'm going to talk about the issues. That's because I have all the answers. She has all the answers. That's right. She... <laughs> One time when, my, when Amber and I weren't getting along really well. Uh, there was only one time. <laughs> she said... She's like, you're just driving me, everything you do is just driving me crazy. I said, I, I don't. No, I said, you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> she really did say I was doing everything wrong, and she really did believe that at that time. But we weren't married for that long, and she has changed her mind. Or, or you've learned. <laughs> or, or I've learned, right. 
Just kidding. So look, this is this is us being real and raw, and uh, seeing you'll see our differences very clearly. Our personality types are completely opposite. We'll talk about personality profiles at some point during this series, but I want to talk to you about the word dominion or dominating over each other. They're related. In the garden, we were told to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1:28. It was a command given to the man and the woman, verse 27, and basically we were told to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, to reign, and have dominion. But we were never told to have dominion over each other. Make sure you understand that. God never intended a man or a woman to dominate over each other, or we were never told to dominate over cultures, classes, or people. It's not in the Bible. In fact, when you take it to the New Testament, it says that the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and wickedness and spiritual rulers in high places. And so our real war is against the spirit of the age and against demonic forces that want to rob from us and manipulate people to do the things that they do, okay? And so what we're supposed to be doing is dominating over the devil and dominating over life's circumstances, not each other. And we're supposed to be doing it together as a team. We're supposed to be fighting together as one. But sadly, what's happening with a lot of marriages, and Amber had a real powerful prophetic word from the Lord last week about people that are just cohabitating. And when things go awry, the natural tendency is to just self-preserve and cohabitate. And that's not God's best, and that's not what God wants, okay? And so how does that happen? And how do we have uh, so much dysfunction in marriage and so many divorces and uh, all these crazy things that are happening that have muddied the waters on what real healthy relationships are supposed to look like? The enemy wants to muddy the waters, but there's no muddy water in the Bible, God has it very clear what it's supposed to look like. We don't have all the answers, but we're in discovery and reading the word. And this series is as, is as much for you and everybody watching online as it is for us, okay? So I wanna bring to you a little clue of something the Lord showed me of how this all began back in the garden, and it comes from Genesis 3.16. And in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned and they, they ate of the wrong tree, there were consequences. Part of those consequences were a curse to the earth and, of course, a curse to the serpent. But man and woman were never cursed. Mankind was not cursed, but there were consequences for their actions. Okay, so they were judged. God had a conversation. He came into the garden and he had a conversation with uh, the woman, the man, and the serpent. And I, I read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 a lot. I, I love those first three chapters of the Bible because there's so much hidden wisdom and insight. And there's one little understanding that God showed me in the battle of the sexes that was a result from the fall, and it comes from this scripture. I'm not going to touch on the first part of it, though there's a, lot of even, there's a lot of wisdom and understanding even in this part of it where God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you will bring forth children. That was a judgment. The original, what it looked like originally for a woman to have a child isn't what it looks like now, okay? But with Jesus, even in that process of pain and sorrow comes supernatural life, and Jesus even used the understanding of the, the birthing process to say when a woman is in labor, there's Lots of pain and sorrow and struggle, but when the promise comes, it bursts life and vision, okay? And so there's even a reversing of that judgment in a beautiful way when you can see it through that light, and there's a lot of cool stuff to it, but what I want to really focus on is the second part of the scripture. The second part of the scripture says your desire, this is God speaking to the woman after they sin, he says your, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule for you. The word desire can also mean this, an attempt to usurp or control, an attempt to control. It's the same word in the next chapter when Cain killed Abel, and God came to Cain, to Cain and said, 
where's your brother? I, his blood is crying out. And Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And God says to Cain, don't you know that if you do the right thing, you'll be justly rewarded? But if you do wrong, sin is always crouching at your door and desires to rule over you. So what happens, this word desire is not just like I want you or she wants me, but now her desire is to actually rule and control me. And it goes both ways. So here's another way to say the last part of this scripture. You will now have a tendency to dominate your husband, and he will have a tendency to act as a tyrant over you. So you have the battle. The classic battle of the sexes has begun, which is a result of the sin in the garden. It's the man and the woman striving for control, and neither lives in the best interest of each other. So make sure that you really catch this last section in the scripture because it's from this place that a man and a woman are battling for control. And so the ultimate outcome or result is this devouring one another. And in the New Testament, the Lord says to be carnally minded is hatred towards God. Well, the word carnal actually means human nature. Or another way to say it is animal nature. That's where we get the word carnivore. And so the point is, is that the natural tendency without the Holy Spirit is a man and a woman to dominate or rule over each other. And that's why we see so much dysfunction in society. We could go down the list of the spirit of this age. Uh, Men looking at women for only one thing. Women looking at men for only one thing. And you know, the, the pervasive nature or the perverted nature in our society with pornography and uh, everything from women's lib movements to these dominating machismo man movements. God wants to deal with these things so that we can ultimately love our spouse the way that God intended us to. And that doesn't mean be, me being weak and passive and letting her just run the show. And it doesn't mean that I get a pass to not be a spiritual leader. And so we have to understand what God's original intent was. I'm going to talk about that, and Amber's going to bring some very real answers. In the Bible, we see shortly after the fall that God would begin to change names because in the name change of someone in the Old Testament, God is changing their nature and their identity. Without a nature and identity change, you can never, you'll never be able to get it right. So what I want you to know more than anything is that God has to transform your heart and you have to become a new creation in Christ. And all throughout the Old Testament, we would see all kinds of dysfunction. We would see women sleeping with Nephilim and these giant angels and you would see perverted relationships everywhere. I mean, it just became a real mess. And so in the Old Testament, we see these Name changes and nature changes and God revealing to us ultimately a type and shadow of what would come through Jesus. So I'll give you just a few of them. One of the ones that stood out to us that's kind of most prevalent is Sarai and Sarah. And I've taught about this before. But this is a really good understanding of the need for a nature and a name change and where the woman was dominating over the man. And therefore God would change her nature and change her name. And in this case, the word Sarai means the dominant one. And if you look at Sarai, before her name was changed to Sarah, you can see just a disastrous nature in her. Here's some examples. When she was barren and wanted a firstborn, she went to, her, to Abram, who was passive, and said, I want you to sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, because I want a son. She had a major control issue. And of course, Abram's like, oh, you want me to sleep with your maidservant? Okay, I'll go for it. And out of that came Ishmael. And the result of Ishmael and the dysfunction around the world to this day and the battle between Ishmael and Jacob is still alive and prevalent all over the world. All right, I don't have time to go into that. What are some other things? Like, so after Ishmael was born, uh, Sarai gets spiteful 
towards Hagar and is like, you know, can see that she's looking now at Abram in a, in a dysfunctional way. And now she fears that Hagar is going to try to usurp her control. So what does she do? She tells Abram, banish them. I don't kick them out of the house. I mean, it's totally dysfunctional. God gives a promise. What, is, what do they do? They laugh. But when her name was changed, you had the mother. Suddenly she became the mother of all nations. So like Abram's name meant the exalted father, but when his name was changed to Abraham, it means the father of all nations. So now when he's being the exalted one, suddenly he's changed to the one that will father the nations, and Sarai now becomes Sarah, which is the first lady or the real princess or the queen or the mother of all nations. Some other ones are Jacob and Israel. Jacob's original name means heel catcher or supplanter, the one that's trying to pull or grasp, and you saw what Jacob did with his brother Esau. But God changed Jacob's name to Israel because Jacob wrestled all night with God, and then God changed his name, and he said, because you have overcome, and now Israel means God prevails or he will rule as God. So new name, new nature. In some cases, people change their own name. And you don't even realize it or you change your nature. You may not change your name, but your nature changes and you, and you allow it or declare it over yourself. A classic example of that is Naomi changing her name to Mara. And so in the book of Ruth, Naomi loses her family. They die. It's a bad situation. She goes back to her hometown and they call her Naomi. She says, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter, which is what Mara means, bitterness. Solomon, God came and said, I'm going to call Solomon Jedediah now. So Solomon means peaceful, but Jedediah means beloved of Jehovah. And how many names does Jesus have or names does God have? And so it's an understanding of character and nature that has to change in order to overcome the result of what happened in the garden. So biblical name changes, either good or bad, all have to do with nature and calling changes. We see all kinds of dysfunction, not only in the Bible, but how it plays out even in the New Testament church, where women can't preach or women can't be pastors. At Rock City Church, women can preach and be pastors, because the Bible says that God created male and female together in his image and likeness, and he spoke the promise, the generation, or the uh, garden commission to both the man and the woman, okay? And so... We still have to overcome this. And so many churches and even in home life there so, can be so much religious dysfunction between a man and a woman that's still playing out to this day. All of it ties back to the garden. So because of the curse, we have some classic battle of the sexes terminology. This, I might get in some trouble today. I don't know how to say it exactly right, but I'm just going to say it. And my wife has given me the blessing to say some of these things. So they're, just, they're real definitions. They're real definitions. Here's one, the matriarch woman or the dominant woman. This is the woman that wears the pants in the family. So <laughs> the man is passive aggressive or just passive. You got a passive man. He's simply always pa a passive and weak leader. He takes no lead spiritually. You know, I believe that every woman wants a man who's a real spiritual leader of their home. I and there's, there's a definition of that. Right. And then when the husband isn't a spiritual leader, if the wife happens to be a type A person, I happen to be like that. And I will say it's my natural instinct um, to take matters in my own hands. If I'm not being led by the Holy Spirit, if I'm not always in tune with him, then I'll be like, he's taking too long. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Um, and I know there's other women here that have that going on. So that's where you can not always be a dominant woman, but you can have moments where you do become, want to become dominant as, your, as a nature, especially if you're a type A or have control issues. Um, and it's so, wrong. It is a wrong thing. So we're, we're fire and fire. Even though our personalities are different, we are totally fire. I married Amber because I was so attracted to the fire in her life as far as her personality, the way she takes charge, the way she takes lead. I love the leadership quality, and I love that type A personality in her life. 
The challenge is, is we can both be chiefs and sparks can really, really fly in our house. And so there has to be the Holy Spirit and there has to be a confident understanding on my part of what it means to be a spiritual leader and we both have to be preferring and submitted to one another. That's coming. We're gonna talk about that at another time. But what happens is, is if I become weak and I become passive, then if she's not bridled by the Holy Spirit, then she will just dominate and take charge, especially when you have little kids. You know, because she's, she is a protector. She's, and that, the woman is designed to surround, protect, and give aid. That's what helper means in the garden. And so if I don't take that place, then by default, it can be her tendency to want to take that place. But it's still not healthy. Well, I'm not saying it's right. These are patterns, but the, there's a better way. Everybody say there's a better way. All right, so we understand that this happens. If you're, a, if you're a strong woman, and we want strong women, but if you are a type A personality and you have a man that's not spirit-led, spirit-filled, and taking charge, then you will run over the man. And if the man doesn't rise up spiritually and confidently in his identity and who he's called to be and takes his rightful place as the spiritual leader of the home, and that doesn't mean dominating and, and, and uh, making her a doormat, okay, and those are things we're gonna talk about too, but it, it's, it means that we're unified and preferring and we're face-to-face -face and we're leading together. And so if I'm off, then she's coming to me to work with me and to help me and we're having reality-based conversations with mercy and grace and love. Because sometimes I am off. I can have... Or I take longer to realize I'm off. So all my equipment breaks at the coffee shop and it's gonna be $50,000, $60,000 and I just had the worst day I could ever imagine when it comes to that. I've, now, after years of owning coffee shops, I just kind of smile. Something blew up, something broke down. I mean, I've had the craziest things happen. At some point, I just, okay, Lord, I'm just trusting you. There's only so much I can do. But you can have so much pressure and struggle and if men don't get a reality-based understanding that God is the ultimate provider, and if men don't get a reality-based understanding of what it means to be intimate with the Lord and a spiritual leader, not passive, but confident and putting Christ front and center, then we will cave to the pressures of this world and we'll take it into our home life and it will affect my wife. And there are times where I come in and I'm just, I can't be present because I'm overwhelmed. I've got $10,000, $15,000 worth of debt that's piled up due to who knows what with the businesses. I'm always juggling all kinds of finances and responsibilities and the church and the shopping center and kids and oh my gosh, it's so much. But it doesn't give me a right to be passive and to check out ever. In fact, what I pray is, Lord, expand my capacity, do it internally so I can do it externally instead of letting the circumstances of this world cave me down. And I don't have a right to come home and say, where's my dinner and check out. When I get home, I'm still on duty because she's been working all day too with the kids. I wash my own laundry. I, do, I iron my own clothes. No, I'm saying I... I don't, I, I do that because she's so awesome with the kids. She's amazing. The, as a mother, she is incredible with the kids. And she brings a unique understanding of organization and structure and life and healthy and healthiness to those kids. And I bring something like that, but uniquely different. Okay, we're going to get in some trouble yeah, today. but you're really going off on a whole tangent. Lisa, we, we're, we're supposed to be stating what's actually the type of scenarios we could be. So having, the matriarch woman, but the not powerful. The, the woman was never meant to be the matriarch. Okay, women? Don't worry, men are coming next. Because the opposite of matriarch is patriarch. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. So there's no women wearing the pants. God designated the man to be the spiritual leader of the home. Your question may be is, what does that look like? That's our plan for next week. So we're just identifying some things. You ready for this one? The machismo man. I didn't say that very good. The machismo man. The machismo man. 
You know, machismo actually means the macho male. The macho male. There's actually a definition for the machismo man. So I'm going to define it for you. It's defined as a strong or aggressive man with masculine pride. And although we predominantly see this term used in Mexican-Spanish cultures, this nature is active in all cultures. Make sure we understand that. I understand it may have come from a Mexican-Hispanic culture, but the machismo male or the macho man can be in any and every single culture. It manifests in every culture and every ethnic background. So the machismo man is the dominant ruler in the family. He controls everything, including his wife and his children. He's manly. And he leads with a strong sense that it's his job to provide, protect, and defend his family. And although there's some truth to that, what happens is is the machismo man uses that as a guise to actually keep women in their place and be controlling. It's a controlling spirit. Now, that wasn't the way it was in the beginning. To be macho was actually an idealistic societal role for men where boys were expected to possess and display bravery, courage, strength, wisdom, and leadership from a young age. It sounds good, right? So to be macho was an aspiration of all boys. And they looked up to their fathers who were macho to demonstrate how to be brave, courageous, and strong. But what happened was over time, it became the assumption that men were superior to women. And we're going to break this thing of men are superior to women because that's not biblical. She... Don't worry, she's got a lot to say. That's a mama right there. Don't worry, I do have a lot to say. She has a lot to say. So the macho man is unbridled. He's the unbridled patriarch of the family. He's unbridled. So I'm just going to point out a few other things. We have metrosexual men. What's a metrosexual man? He's the urban heterosexual male with liberal political views an interest in fashion, and a refined sense of taste. You can be into fashion without You can be into fashion, taste, and not... That's right. That's exactly Skinny right. jeans doesn't mean you're metrosexual. No. So here's, here's one. You better take this one. Oh, the diva. The diva. A self-important person, typically a female, who is temperamental and difficult to please. So that sounds like my five-year-old daughter, but I'm not going to call her that because um, even though she can, at five, they do only think about themselves, and they are temperamental, and they are difficult to please at times. So, um, but you don't want to speak that into her identity. So let's not be divas. Let's not be machismo. These are unhealthy terms, I'm just telling you. And you cannot even realize you put this on your kids. So you say, you're such a diva. You are actually speaking death to your kid. Right. But in, in marriage, though, besides kids, but in marriage, you really don't want to be the diva. I mean, for a man to always feel like they have to work so hard just for you to spend all the money on having a name brand, whatever, it's just silly. It's ridiculous, and it just brings strife into your marriage. So there's a lot of other examples that may come out over time, but uh, some of them are religious controlling families. And so what happens with a religious controlling family is they're not bridled by the Holy Spirit. There's no life, passion, excitement, joy. It's all rules and policies and regulations. It's dysfunctional homeschooling. Not all homeschooling is, but it's trying to shelter and protect your kids from the world. Isolating. It's isolation, and it's putting religious bondage on your children. So as soon as they can break free and get away from it, they run. Anybody raised like that? Don't raise your hand. You're all like, that's me, yeah. So let's not raise our kids that way, okay? How about this one, the Christian but not born again? Family. I've had many families say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not into all that born-again stuff. 
that doesn't make any sense to me. How about the godless family? There's no, God's nowhere in your family at all. You don't bring him in because of fear of religion or fear of what it looks like. It's all dysfunctional. We have all kinds of family things going on that are just not biblical. The polygamous family, the wife swappers. We have just so much stuff that's not right. Even heterosexual families where they're not married but cohabitating and living together. It's not biblical. And I have to say that. Now, do I marry couples? Do, I, do we have couples here that are living together that aren't married? Yes. Do I want to help them to get to the place of getting married if it's what God wants? You bet I do. So I'm not putting shame on anyone, but I'm letting you know it's not God's best. And it sets a bad standard and an example for our own children. I love you guys, okay? So we have all kinds of gender identity, gender battles, all kinds of stuff. But the battle of the sexes can only be resolved by reversing the curse in you and your family. This is only done through Jesus Christ. And the parents being spirit-filled and spirit-led. If you're not spirit-filled and spirit-led and having an active working of the Holy Spirit every day in your life at home, it's, it's impossible to do it God's way. It's impossible. And so we need parents that are after God's heart, real men and women that pursue him. We need men of God, and we need women that are a beautiful expression of the woman described in Proverbs 31. And you know, Proverbs 31 is written to men. Make sure we remember that, okay? It's written to men. And Proverbs 31 is not the, the expectation of every woman. What Proverbs 31 is, is the manifestation of a wise woman. Remember that. And so there's so many dynamics of a Proverbs 31 woman. And all women are unique in God's eyes and created to do something uniquely. Wisdom is expressed through the Proverbs 31 woman. And so to understand what real healthy marriage looks like, we have to accurately interpret scripture, doctrine, and we must have understanding, knowledge, wisdom, and revelation from the Holy Spirit if we're gonna reverse the judgment and the result of the curse between the battle of the sexes. And now my wife is going to give you some great answers. <laughs> let's yeah. see. Let's see. Last time. Wait, are you guys fired up? Uh, okay. Last service, I got about five minutes to get in my entire two-page thing. But I went, I went fast. It wasn't I just went your fast fault. Right it was the time. Um, okay. So... Which means it was my fault. I was, that's how I heard that, right? What, okay, so we're talking, uh, we're talking about a lot of issues, but I'm going to try to summarize what I feel like is the best way to overcome all of them. Um, so if we look at the greatest commandment, with, which most of you would know, is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then in turn, love others as you love yourself. So what does it look like to love yourself? I, I think a lot of people put a lot of focus on that part of it. Um, and it's not really trying to say, be obsessed, be confident, be everything. And, you know, it's not really trying to focus on loving yourself. He's just making a simple point that it's our nature to take care of ourselves. Like, we're not going to let ourselves starve you're going to try to get, if there's food, you're going to get some for yourself naturally before you're going to worry about the crowd. He's talking about just the, just that part. But what does loving yourself um, look like? Well, you first have to have the first part of the commandment down, which is to love God with everything in you. Um, it's in knowing God that, uh, it's truly knowing the Father that you you can experience true love and your true identity as his daughter or son, and make and it makes it possible um, to love yourself unconditionally. So there's grace. Like loving yourself looks like grace um, for the process. It looks unconditional. It looks like dependency on the Holy Spirit. So it's not um, I have to have everything right before I can fully love myself. It's I, it's just like take the pressure off. It's a process. Like every single week, every month, I'm growing and learning to love myself more. And in, as I grow, I l am able to love others more. Um, and so Philippians 2, 1 passion. in the Passion says, You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit, and you felt his tender affection and mercy. So the key word to me is overflowing. I think when we fully know the Lord and breaking down how do we become, how do we know the Lord? We find out what he's saying, um, and if we don't hear him, we have to go back to what he has said in the Bible. So reading the Bible and really letting it become a truth to you is where it starts. Um, and then when you really let the word um, really consume you, you become so full of his nature, which is love, that you are overflowing with so much more love to give. So if you're not first full of love, of his love for you, um, and your love for him, then you have nothing else to give. You're not overflowing. It's like a cup overflowing. Um, and so you want to be full of love so you have more love to give. So that's kind of where loving yourself um, and loving God um, begins. And then, of course, deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's where it's all at. I cannot stress that enough uh, is this dependency. And I feel like a broken record, but if we could just get... Like, okay, if you're a person coming today and you're like, what is she even talking about? This pendency on some spirit. Like, what does that look like? I'm going to go real practical for those people. Um, so dependency on the Holy Spirit in my life looks like feeling like if you're always in prayer and you're taking time to stop and acknowledge, like, what should I do in this situation? How should... How should I move in this situation? You kind of feel like a nudge. You know how that you have that inner knowing um, that you just know that you know? That's the Holy Spirit guiding you. I'm sorry if that's too practical for you super spiritual people, but there's other people here. Um, and so um, that's what it looks like in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your job, in every choice you make. It's dependency on the Holy Spirit, which means like onward conversation, ongoing conversation. That's what it looks like. So 1 John 4, 19 in the Passion as well says, Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. So just like Jeremy was saying with um, giving tithe, it's, it's not like we, um, are, there's nothing that he hasn't already first given us that we're, not get, that we're giving back, if that makes sense. So he's already given us. He, he um, died on the cross for us. He laid down his life for us. He is the most sacrificial type, unconditional love for us. He's already given it to us, and we're just giving our response back. We're loving him and others. It's just our great, it's a grateful response to that. And then First John 4, 8, uh, the one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. So, as harsh as that sounds, I, I'd, I'd say if you're struggling with loving yourself, loving others, there's a disconnect on how much you really know the Lord. Like, do you really know his nature? Um, his nature is uh, just so unconditionally loving and caring for you that if you really, really had that, I don't feel like you'd struggle with giving out love. Um, and it's in the Word, so... There's that. Um, so, okay. Some of the factors that come after if you into marriage and that if you're single, please deal with these things. Like, I can't say enough how much if you would just get right with the Lord yourself uh, before going into dating, how much time and stress and burden you could save yourselves. Um, so it's not like I came into marriage perfect but I wasn't, anyway, we won't go into that. That was a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> you want to you deal with a lot of your issues beforehand. You want to, if you can, um, and it's never too late if you haven't. This is called reclaimed for a reason. We believe at any point in your life you can reclaim and start over. Um, so I just want to say that. Um, so some factors that could get in your way are shame. I think shame is the biggest one. So shame is ultimately just an identity issue. It's an identity crisis. Like you don't really, you, shame says something's wrong with who you are. So if in every, if you have a lens, if you have vision that is um, like a altered or a um, defected, 
vision, um, you're going to see, you're going to interpret everything that someone says to you or does to you as something wrong with you, if that makes any sense. And so in marriage, you're going to take that into marriage that something's wrong with you. Um, you're going to look at everything they do uh, as something against you. You'll get very defensive. Yeah. Yeah, defensive. Um, so shame, there's no room for shame when we know God, when we know his nature. Um, and then so we must know the heavenly, we have to know the heavenly father as different than our earthly father. So without, okay, so <laughs> your heavenly father is going to be the best example ever. So reading up on what his love for us looks like is the best thing. Um so you might have had a great dad who provided and loved you the best they knew how, but it's still not going to compare to the Heavenly Father. So that's the main thing is we've got to stop having an earthly view of his love as a conditional thing or a thing we have to measure up for. It's like the Heavenly Father's love is like nothing. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's no way we can comprehend. So there's no way you can put the two together. You can't compare your earthly father and then if you're lacking an earthly father or if your earthly father was dysfunctional, um, abusive, all of those things, you've got to completely erase it, forgive that person, and only focus on how he sees you so that you can move forward in a healthy relationship. Until that's right, I think your marriage is going to have issues and everything you put your mind to is not going to work out well because that's the main thing you have to get is your identity. We talk about that so much at this church. It's like the, one of the main themes. So outside of this series, our heartbeat is to always help you become who God says you are and to overcome those hurts and those pains and those struggles that have tried to identify you from your past. And so erasing it is the blood of Jesus. It's dealing with the, the memory properly. It's dealing with the root that's causing bad fruit. Okay. And so that's what we do here with inner healing. That's what we do here at the altar. Forgiveness, dealing with bitterness, dealing with shame. All those things got to get out of us or we're going to have intimacy issues in our marriage and we'll constantly be defensive with one another. We're never going to be able to become one properly because one of us is living in shame, fear, isolation, self-preservation. The list goes on and on and on. Right. So it always starts with you is the main thing, um, is you and the Lord. If you're right, a lot of things in your life are going to go right. Um, and then there, another thing is I, I feel like a lot of people in marriage, are they have this view of them, their own world too much. They're too consumed with their own satisfaction, and they only see the circle, like the space around them. Um, and I think that's where you get seasons of depression or feeling super low because you became so consumed with your little bubble um, you're not thinking about doing things for the benefit of your husband. You're not thinking about how can I, how can I love others. You're just thinking about me, me, me. I don't like that he's doing that. I don't, you know, it's just too consumed. And I, I feel like self, being con self consumed is really a route for depression. They kind of go hand in hand. Not to say you, you can't um, get help for depression or that it's a sin. I'm just saying, whenever you take your eyes off of yourself, it's going to help. It's the, what fulfills you. It brings joy. Exactly. Um, so when I was preparing, the Lord randomly just popped into my head, and it doesn't technically fit in this, but it kind of does. Um, so he, was, he said, what's the, pro what's the prophetic vision for your marriage? Um, and I had never thought about that. Like, what's, what's the purpose of marriage? Vision's another, another way of saying purpose. So I don't know that most people have got, I mean, if you are so on track and you're so spiritual and maybe you did already have like this vision statement for your marriage going in, but I didn't. I really didn't. I didn't get married saying like, we're going to accomplish, this is what I want to accomplish with him together. We're going to do this. Nope. I just loved him and thought we're going to get married. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. They go into marriage blind. Um, but, and it's okay if you do. I had a prophetic vision for yeah, marriage. Yeah, that's good. At least somebody did. I, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I knew it would be fine. I mean, the, I knew the Lord told me it was the, it, it. So I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. Um, but I'm the super spiritual one, right? 
No, you're, no. You're, you, you keep me grounded. You had a lot longer, a lot of years. I had like a I, lot more yeah, years yeah. to process. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> He, well, he was 40 when he got married, so I mean, gosh. Just tell everybody everything, Amber. Just spill it all out. You there. said real, raw, transparent. <clears throat> anyway, marriage, vision. You gotta have vision. So in Proverbs, I don't remember what it is, but it talks about how um, without vision, people perish and they go all astray. And so I don't want my marriage, one, to perish, and two, I don't want it all over the place. So if we have a clear vision, if we have um, a clear goal for or purpose, a joint purpose for a marriage. So if you don't know and you hadn't ever really thought of that, which is totally cool because most people don't think a lot about that. They're so busy with their day to day. Um, I want to start with what the highest purpose is for what's what's the Lord's purpose in marriage um, is to display to the world the sacrificial love of Christ for his bride. The church. So we're the church. As as Christianese as that all sounds, we Christians are the church. We are the bride, and he's he laid his life down by dying on the cross for us. Yeah. Makes me want to cry. In everything we do, we just, the main goal, what he wanted for this is that we reflect his sacrificial love in everything we do. There's no other higher calling in marriage than to show the world what unconditional sacrificial love looks like. Yeah. <laughs> it's making People cry. I'm crying all the time. I don't know what's wrong with me. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> right, because there's no shame here. <laughs> there's no shame, and it's good to cry. I knew that. So without vision, we're gonna go in unrestrained, and um, we'll also t we'll be likely to take the path um, of least resistance. If you don't have a vision, like when the Lord died, um, when Jesus died for us, he he. For the cross, because he saw for the joy set before him, he saw he's like you know the pain I'm going to endure, but it's for a reason because on the other side. And so in your marriage, if you're in this hard spot and you can't, you can it's like vision gives you a bridge to the other side. It it, it takes you from right right now what you're seeing, which is hopelessness, and it gives you hope because you're like there's a bridge, there's there's yeah. vision for what's to come. I'm guessing that's why the Lord just said that to me. It's because of that. Um, so when we have God's vision for a marriage, when we're looking at, we're looking at it as how do we reflect um, his love to the world so that they want to know him more to bring him glory. If we're looking at it as that, we have hope. It gives the pain and the hardship right now or any time in your marriage a purpose because things don't happen for a reason, but there's purpose in everything that happens. So, um, I think that's it for that vision part. Uh, and then you have to realize that marriage isn't for your sole benefit. Like, I think a lot of people get married because it's going to be fun. You'll have that security if you want to travel or you'll have just, or for women, like, um, like, I'll be taken care of or... Um, or you could be thinking, like, I want to be able to have sex without it being a sin. I'm just being real. I've heard it all. Um, yeah, you could, you could be going into it for a variety of reasons, um, but it's not for our sole benefit. He created the union just so that we can show the world his love and um, reflect it. And the best way we can do that in every area, our finances, our goals, schedules, our health, our parenting, is by laying down our lives. And I know we talk about death a lot, and to the average person that's never even, say they've never read the Bible or they, <laughs> they just have never heard the phrase, it sounds kind of intense. Um, I'm always thinking about anyone. I try, to, I try to think about anyone that would come. And so if I say death to self, it seems kind of intense. But what it looks like is putting my will to the side and I becoming a we. And so it's like, it, 
I might want this for our kids, or I might want a different house or a different, I might have certain goals, but if it's not a we, a joint goal, a joint vision, then it's not right. Um, it's, so it's death to my way or having to be right, having to have the control. It's a death to that. It's a laying that down, just like Christ laid his life down to us. So it's, it's kind of mirroring that. Um, it's death to pride. It's death to control. Um, and it's yes to authentic humility. And here we go with my story. Do you, want, do you have anything to say before that? Okay. <clears throat> I think I got it all in. Um, but I'm going to leave you guys with a story, which is a personal story, um, and it gets me emotional, so just prepare yourself. Um, okay, how can I word it? I don't feel as rushed as time, which is nice. Um, <clears throat> so a few weeks ago, it would be that we already knew we were going to do this marriage and family um, series, and it kept getting postponed a lot. Um, for various reasons, like we didn't feel like we were prepared, or we couldn't get, I don't even know why, we, we weren't ready yet, oh, we hadn't filmed for the, the little clips you see, and it just seemed like something kept setting us back, but ultimately, I also wasn't feeling it, personally, because I was like, we're not in a good place, our marriage wasn't in a good place, and it's, only, it's because, like, I already know how the enemy works, we knew we were going to do this series, and it was like the enemy was on, like, over time. Um, he hurt his back and was like always having to lay on a heating pad and he couldn't lift up the kids and I was doing everything now, myself. Now you have to tell everybody all that. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Anyway, so every morning he's like, I've got to have, like, I've got to, and he was really, he, he really was in a lot of pain, um, from his back and that's a whole nother, I won't get into But that. I tore that mountain up snowboarding. Let me just tell you right. about that. Right. And so... Is a rupture disc? Yeah, hey. rupture disc. Yeah. So, yeah, pray for me, though, seriously. Yeah, so, <laughs> Grace. <laughs> Let's not talk about him snowboarding and how anyway. silly that is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, it was a really rough, it was really rough, uh, really rough. I, I don't know how long, it was a little over a week that, like, everything he said was driving me crazy. I knew he was irritated with me. I still loved him, but, of course, and I wanted to be married to him. It's not like that. It was just, like, the whole house, the atmosphere was just, uh, what's the word? There was a real dark cloud over our house. Like, I, I mean, yeah, was... I've, yeah, I've told a few friends, like, I feel like I'm being covered by a dark cloud everywhere I go. Like, I just felt like the enemy was, like, on overtime. Like, and so we, we were just in a lot of strife, and there wasn't even a good reason. That's what's even crazier. Is I, it's not like anyone did one thing. Um, and I know that I'm speaking to someone that you've been there or that you've had that. If you've been married more than, what, a month. You've it was a bunch of little things <laughs> piling up. It was a lot I mean, of little things that just kept piling up. I mean, it was just one thing after another, plus the enemy works on overtime to lie in your ears. So he's constantly accusing. So you have to remember that. And he's constantly telling you that you're a failure, you're not good enough, you're not providing enough. The list goes on of the things he tries to tell you. And he was working on overtime Yeah, on he was. And it was just consuming. I was just fighting for what I know to do in those situations is I fight to hear the Lord. Um, and so I would keep going to my secret time, or which is just sitting by the water in silence. Because the best thing you could do is just go sit by yourself and stop busying yourself and try to get to the bottom of it. And I, a few times I wasn't hearing anything. I was just like, why am I wasting my time? I have so many things to be doing. And at that point, it felt like I was wasting my time. But I kept pouring my heart out to the Lord. I kept, what, what will it take? What is going on? You know, help, help me know how to love him more. Help me know how to communicate, blah, blah, blah. And then the last time I uh, met with the Lord, because it was like, felt like it, we had came to a max, like the kids were acting out because of the environment and the sh just the, not that we fight in front of them, they could just sense it, kids can sense things, and so everything goes haywire, everything in my life felt like striving or not fun or enjoyable, every decision I needed to make at the church, anything I was doing, it just all felt off, so on my last attempt <laughs> to come to the Lord and pour out my heart, and say, something's got to give. I can't start this series on marriage and family if we're not right. 
and um, I don't know what it'll take, but I knew that we were going on a trip out of town, and we were going to have a couple hours in the car together, and so I said, I just, I just asked for the Holy Spirit to come and, and take over and be there for us because I was at a loss in my own strength what to do because I felt like every time I tried to tell him something, which would be like before bed, which is not a good idea. Um, I, but with kids and life, it's hard to find time to like work everything out. And so I would tell him my feelings or what I thought we should do, a decision or I felt like I totally heard from the Lord on. And he's like, no, not going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, he was like, we were just not on the same level, which is not that common. So anyway, uh, I felt like the Lord kept saying, come humbly, like, come humble. Um, and so I would say that would be the best advice for any time you're in a hard spot is to go low. Um, and not be coming in so prideful and, like, getting your point across and your message and wanting your way. And so I came in, like, whatever it takes just to get us right. And so, I mean, it was, like, pretty supernatural what happened in the, in the car ride. Um, so much happened, and a lot of it is personal. But I will say that I just came in. The Holy Spirit filled the car, for one, because I asked him to. And, and then he said, I didn't know, but later he said he had been praying, you know, for the same amount of time, like, show me what to do or, you know, and asking for the Holy Spirit to lead. And so when we get in the car, it's like as soon as we turn the music off and start talking, it's like the Holy Spirit just comes in. And what that looks like for those of you who haven't experienced that is just like a supernatural peace. It's just like you don't feel like fighting or striving it's just like it's going to be okay and you're letting him lead and so I just started by telling him how I felt and how the progression of things um, had built up to me and how I felt he was responding how it made me feel and just real vulnerable real humble I didn't come off like you did this wrong why did you do that wasn't accusing and then he cried apologized and we were able to pray and He's like, I had no idea, like, I had no idea that was your heart or that was your reasoning. And it would just open his eyes for why I could have been kind of being kind of aggressive or um, short with him or whatever. Because when you you have all that built up, you're going to lash out. And so it kept coming out like aggression and add on the struggles of life. And then finally, when I'm able to tell him in a humble way, it just broke all the barriers and... Um, and the Holy Spirit did something supernatural and brought us back together again, probably more than I think we ever have in our, our entire marriage. So I'd say to come in humble and go low. All right. You guys feel like you're in a counseling session now? Uh, so, yeah. So all kinds of things were piling up in my heart, and uh, there's just a ton of little things that were going on, and Amber was also really struggling. I was battling some physical and health issues, and she also was having some physical and health issues. The kids, you know, had gotten sick for about a week, and it was just the perfect storm. All kinds of things were piling up, and she wasn't getting any time with the Lord, and many times when we start to get to that place, we both know, like, we'll even say, like, you need to go get with Jesus, and, and, Whatever it takes, if it means canceling the appointments, if it means me watching the kids, whatever it takes. Because at some point, when you start really running on empty, your emptiness will manifest dysfunctionally. And that's why you can never, ever, ever afford to not have a full cup. But your cup does get empty at times. Life happens. Right? And we're just telling you about a moment and we've had a lot of moments like these because it's the constant process of dying to self. And so while she was, while this was all happening, what she didn't know was that I really was crying out to the Lord, like, because I couldn't function. It really does come down to the fact of happy wife, happy life. I'm just telling you. And it doesn't mean that, that she's a diva. And it doesn't mean I'm constantly having to live, live to please her. But what I am saying is, is if she's not full and she's not satisfied, then it's going to affect me, like she said last week, and we're going to be off. I, you know, and I can only go through the motions of my life for so long. 
but inside it's tearing me up, right? And so I would get with the Lord and just cry out for her and for us. And the Lord began to show me that there were areas in my heart that I needed to ask for forgiveness for and repent and to get to the root of it and have a reality-based conversation because when you stop communicating and you start cohabitating and you become enemies and you don't talk to each other, it's just detrimental to both of you and your kids. So at some point, you realize God put us together. I'm committed for life. Separation's not an option. I'm going to deal with it, whatever it takes, but I'm also going to come forgiving, repentant, and lowly because I don't have anything that I have to preserve or protect or defend. You get out of defensive protection, self-preservation mode. There's no more fear, shame, and control. And so when we, I officiated a wedding in Houston, and that's when I was gone, or in Austin, and that's when Jeremy preached a few weeks ago, which she did an awesome job. But on the drive, I mean, it wasn't 20 minutes, and I knew, and she knew, we needed to have a conversation. And we both repented, and she confided in me some things that I had no idea that was going on in her heart, And in turn, we wept and we cried, and the Lord came in that Tahoe. I mean, it was powerful. We had a powerful experience with the Lord. And that's what some of you need to have, is you need to have these powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit and come humbly, come lowly, come repentant, and get with the Lord and pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse. And if you're single, really pray for God to work on that person's heart that he's going to bring to you at the right time. Really start praying for them and get yourself healthy and love really, 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 really well. Love yourself the way that God loves you so that you can accurately love that other person in your life. Amen? Let's all stand.